You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 36. Today, our special guest is Matt Callison, and we're discussing musculoskeletal acupuncture. Hey, everybody. I'm Fiona Gitchum. And I'm Claire Pyers. And today we are talking with Matt Callison about musculoskeletal acupuncture, GRG points, and the convergence of sports medicine and acupuncture. Hi, Matt. It's great to have you joining us today. Hello. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Matt Callison earned his master's degree in traditional oriental medicine in 1991. He entered the field of acupuncture after he'd been working in sports medicine for six years as he had graduated in 1985 with a bachelor degree in physical education and a focus on sports medicine. Matt is the author of four publications, The Treatment of Orthopaedic Disorders, The Motor Point Manual, The Motor Point Index and a Sports Medicine Acupuncture Textbook. He has also created a motor point and acupuncture meridian chart. Mr. Callison is well known for his international certification program, Sports Medicine Acupuncture, and his work with professional athletes. He's published a study on acupuncture and tibial stress syndrome and several articles in the Journal of Chinese Medicine. He developed a class on the treatment of orthopedic disorders that is currently taught in six different acupuncture colleges across the USA. Mr. Callison serves as the Pacific College's Supervisor of Acupuncture Interns at the University of California's San Diego Sports Medicine Center, where they are blending Chinese medicine and sports medicine together in the Western setting. So hi, Matt, and welcome to the show. It's really great to have you with us. And from what I understand, you've had an interesting journey that... uh, really joins sports medicine with Chinese medicine and acupuncture. So would you like to start by telling us about how that came to be for you and um, how you see sports medicine within the context of acupuncture? Okay, great. That's, that's an in-depth topic. My undergraduate studies from San Diego State University is, is in athletic training and in sports medicine. And so learned quite a bit about how to assess and how to treat musculoskeletal injuries. So when I graduated from San Diego State, I actually traveled to Australia and only with a backpack and a surfboard in hand and wanted to see what else the world had to offer. And in my travels, I actually came across someone in Perth that was a physio or, and I guess you don't really have athletic trainers in Australia, it would be a physio, a sports physio, who was also putting needles in people. And to me, that was was very foreign. Now, this was coming straight from being Western trained. So, but watching him apply acupuncture, and I believe that he was traditionally trained from China, um, he was doing miraculous things that I've never seen before. So that person or that experience, this was now 35 years ago, that, um, that experience actually really planted the seed for me. So when I came back to the United States, I went into acupuncture school and long story short, for the last 26 years now, I've been combining sports medicine assessment and treatment modalities with traditional Chinese medicine and seeing what works and what doesn't. And uh, what has been born from that is an educational program. It's called a sports medicine acupuncture certification program where we treat acupuncturists from around the world on how to be able to treat musculoskeletal injuries with the combination of sports medicine and traditional Chinese medicine. Wow, that's great. So it's not just the acupuncture side of things. You're also using the herbal medicine and other integrative medicine um, nutrients, I'm guessing? Yes, and also Qigong exercises, and, and it's, it's not separating or diluting traditional Chinese medicine. It's actually encompassing what traditional Chinese medicine has to offer. So it's, 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 it's blending the two together, yes. Great. And so with the acupuncture, you're using, and you've also written about motor points, 
um, and you know special acupuncture techniques for sports medicine. Would you be able to start talking about some of those for us, perhaps more so those that are um, different applications of acupuncture from what most of us may have learnt? Oh gosh, okay, this is, do we have all night? <laughs> There's a lot to talk about with this one. Um, so <laughs> let's just say now if we need to do part two, we'll invite you back on the show. <laughs> all right, okay. Um, let's, let's start with the Jaji points, Wato Jaji points. Um, depending on the school, uh, many, many teachers here in the United States um, really don't teach the Wato Jaji points. Um, um, they don't teach them, or when they do teach them, they don't teach them very well in depth because they are miraculous points to be able to use. If there was, if there was ever a person that would like to be able to meet back in time, it would have been Watto because his theories and his philosophies that he came up with in the Ming Dynasty are still so present today. They're actually they're evolving his theories today. So he was really quite, had quite the foresight on the different acupuncture points and the way that he would go ahead and treat. Now, as far as the Wato Jaji points are concerned, um, the depth in my mind is very important depending on the condition. Now, let's take a let's say for example, someone has a ridiculous pain. And it's truly ridiculous pain proven with uh, uh, nerve tension tests. Let's take the low back. So let's say that somebody has sciatica symptoms. They have paresthesia either traveling down the gallbladder channel or the urinary bladder channel. And the practitioner can identify if it's truly ridiculous pain by using slumps test or using the straight leg raise uh, with Braggard sign to be able to really get a very good idea that that pain is truly ridiculous. Because as we know, people can have pain going down the gallbladder channel or the urinary bladder channel, and it's sciatica-like sensations, but it's not true sciatica. So true sciatica would be when there is actually a disc impingement on the sciatic nerve causing ridiculous pain. So, um, Going back to the ridiculous pain, if, if we are able to determine through the dermatomes that are affected what nerve root is affected, which you can, is it going more down the gallbladder channel or going down more the urinary bladder channel? Gallbladder channel has a tendency to be more of the L5 nerve root, and the urinary bladder channel has more of a tendency to be more of the S1 nerve root. Now, the Wato Jajis in this case need to be, in my mind, in my experience, very deep, very, very deep. The contraindication to this would be if the person is having an exacerbation of sciatica, it is so bad that it's really quite inflamed. When the, when the practitioner can palpate the area, it's really quite hot. Most cases of sciatica that comes into an acupuncturist's office will not be that. So going in to the Wato Jaji point, let's make sure we're on the same definition with that. So it's going to be 0.5 soon level with the lower border of that particular vertebra, the spinous process of that particular vertebra. So when you go 0.5 soon, if you look at it anatomically, there's something called the dorsal primary rami. The dorsal primary rami is a collateral branch, if you will. It's a collateral branch of the spinal nerve root that innervates the deep paraspinal muscles in the low back there would be the multifidus. And it also will continue to go up and, and innervate into the erector spinae as well. Now, when there's a disc problem, those deep paraspinal muscles can become excess and deficient. So it's going to be up to the practitioner to determine which side is excess and which side is deficient. And many times you can do that with palpation. By massaging deep into the Watrojaji point, you can be able to feel, is it more hard and rigid versus the other side, is it actually more pliable and empty? Now, in some cases, in ridiculous pain, both sides will be very accessed. Both sides will be very locked and protected. And when you take a stainless steel acupuncture needle, a highly conductive material, 
highly electrically conductive material and you put it into this area where the dorsal primary rami innervates the multifidi and that tissue, you're directly sending a message to where that nerve innervates. So when you stimulate the dorsal primary rami, which is connected then to the sciatic nerve and the sciatic nerve travels down the leg, that directly opens the channels and the collaterals. The reason why I can say that, because in the seminars that I teach, is if when you have somebody that has radicular pain, the myotomal muscles, the muscles that belong to the group, the myotome, the group of muscles that are innervated by that particular spinal segment, will usually be really quite tense. The motor points will be exquisitely tender. When you needle the Watojaji points within seconds, you will feel a difference in that sinew channel and the motor points will be reduced in tenderness by at least 30 or 50%. So the Watojaji points on that spinal level will open the channels and the collaterals of the innervated nerve. I hope I didn't go too fast with that. That's that's really great, and I think you know a lot of a lot of people listening. You know, like it's our bread and butter as acupuncturists. People come in, they've got a sore back, they've got a sore neck, they've got you know some type of pain, and that's what brings a lot of people into our clinic. And you know, a lot of the time it's it, it's pretty straightforward to treat them, but sometimes you do get tricky cases. And you know, I think this this level of information is um, is really beneficial in those in those tricky cases where you have to go a bit further than just the, you know, the straightforward, <laughs> these are the points that I'm going to do. Um, and mm-hmm. having, having that understanding, I think is really, really beneficial. It, um, it reminds me of the, the um, presentation that I saw you give at um, the Australian acupuncture conference a number of years ago in yes. Melbourne. And that was, that was yes. brilliant. I mean, that was one of the, the and, and I still tell people, this is one of the main, things that changed the way that I practiced forever. I started checking people's spines and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, I, I, I can treat people with, with a scoliosis now and I never even knew that we could do that. So to, to finish that treatment method, I call this the Watojaji points and myotoma motor points. And right now we're on the, under the radicular scope or radicular umbrella when there is true radicular pain. So when you use the Watojaji points, you want to also combine acupuncture with the myotoma motor points. And the motor point's going to be, I could define that, the motor point's going to be where the motor nerve inserts into the muscle. It's usually centrally located in the muscle. It will have the lowest resistance to electrical conductivity. So what that means is that if you have a small amount of electricity, like a TENS pad or a galvanic stimulator that will go ahead of an output of electricity, it will require a very small amount of electricity at the motor point for that muscle to twitch. Whereas if you take that same amount of electrical output from whatever apparatus you may be using and move it two inches away, from the motor point, the muscle will usually not twitch. So it has the lowest resistance to electrical conductivity in TCM terms. There's a lot of chi in that area. So therefore, when you take a a stainless steel acupuncture needle, you can really open the channels and the collaterals of where that motor point is and the nerve that's affected. So when you go ahead and use the Watojaji points and the linking, myotoma motor points, because it's all the same communication. It's all the same communication. The Watojaji points is innervated by the dorsal primary primary nerve. The dorsal primary nerve is a branch. We're talking about low back now, is a branch of the sciatic nerve. It's a continuation. It's not two separate nerves. It's a continuation. It's like the collaterals, channels and collaterals. So when you stimulate one spot and then you go distal and stimulate the motor points of the affected muscles, then those two needles or three needles or four needles, depending on how many needles you're putting in, all communicate with one another. And that's the beauty of acupuncture really, is is trying to be able to get every single needle in the treatment protocol to have purpose, intent, and to communicate with one another. I think the idea of the depth of the Huato Jiaji points um, 
and that you're going to be hitting actually different muscles with different depths there. You know, that if you go uh, much deeper, you get the multifidus. You know, I think that's something that's definitely not really touched on so much. And when I discovered doing that as a practitioner and working really, I just really like the the Jiaji points because, you know, it makes so much sense as well. This is where all of our body's innovation is coming out of. The nerves are coming out of there and community, you know, joining up the rest of the body with the brain. And it just makes so much sense that we can have such a large effect by starting with that point and then tracking down the channel. And as you say, combining the motor points um, with other distal locations. Right. And that's only one aspect of it because then that's that's looking at it very Western wise, even though my, my language is combining the two. That's just, that's kind of the way that I've, have done it. Um, mm. The Wato Jaji and the Myotome motor point treatment method would then be combined with what channel is going to be affected with this person. So let's go back to the radicular pain lumbar and let's say that we've done Wato Jaji points of L4 and L5 and we've, we've gone quite deep, almost close to the bone, which is completely safe when you're 0.5 soon, even the th in the thoracic region, it's completely safe because all you're going to hit will be the lamina of, of the vertebra. So when you go ahead and treat that deep and you treat the myotome and motor points, there you have communication there. That's opening the channels and the collaterals. But that's only one piece of it. Like who is this patient that has that pain? And if it's if it's if it's a urinary bladder channel and the person's kidney pulse is really quite weak, if the urinary bladder channel is having the pain like a dermatome, it's going down the urinary bladder channel, we could use the classic source and luo combination. So you would use UB58, and because the kidney pulses are weak or signs and symptoms of this person, low back pain, knee pain, so on and so forth, um, is, is, is deficient, then we can transfer the excess to the deficiency. Now that's classic TCM. So your Watojajis and your, your myotome and motor points combined with source and low in this combination would be really quite well. But then we also have to be able to treat that, that person. I mean, so, so what does their tongue look like? How is their shen? How is their spirit? How is their ability to handle inflammation? That's a big one. What's their ability to handle inflammation? Are they spleen sheet deficient? Do they have a lot of liver heat? Do they have gallbladder heat? You know, looking at their ability to actually heal is, is, is really quite big. And this is the power of, of TCM practitioners is to be able to, to build the person's internal fortitude to balance their zong food, to balance their yin yang, to balance their qi blood. And that's going to be really important with any musculoskeletal problem. Because all musculoskeletal problems, all musculoskeletal problems will have an internal component. You just have to look for it. And this is where I've seen, I'm going on a little tangent here, but um, in my 25 years of practicing traditional Chinese medicine and sports medicine, what I've seen where, where traditional Chinese medicine and, and musculoskeletal treatments is that people are putting needles in people and not addressing the tongue and the pulse and the zong fu. And that's just, it's just wrong. I mean, you get so much more out of it when you can treat that particular person. So um, it doesn't matter if it's a simple case of lateral epicondylitis, you know, where you might be able to put a couple of needles in the person's elbow and the person feels a little bit better, but maybe this same person has constipation and, and the large intestinal organ itself is reflecting into its channel. That's classic TCM. And that kind of thing happens clinically, is to, is to look for these things. Mm, so that's great to hear the, uh, the musculoskeletal episode is really just as holistic as all the others because, you know, I mean, it, it's also a, a logic that if the body doesn't have what it needs to create this healing in optimum capacity and time frame, then, you know, that's something that we can really make a difference with. That's the idea. The idea is to be able to remember the roots of traditional Chinese medicine, not become these allopathic people that just throw needles into Ashura points and say that it's acupuncture, because it's not. I mean, that's not acupuncture. Acupuncture is an art and a skill, and it takes decades to get good at. Mm. I mean, to be able to to manipulate qi and to move qi, to change fascial planes, to be able to change posture with a couple of needles. 
I mean, that takes a long time to really understand the internal pathways and the external pathways and how she moves and how it works. So it's, it's just, it's, um, it's a lifetime study, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, moxibustion, Chinese herbology. I think that's a, you know, I think that's a really great point to make because a lot of people see, well, I mean, maybe this is just my observation, but, you know, sometimes people will, will kind of go, oh, you know, it's just, it's just a sore back or it's just, you know, it's just musculoskeletal. All I have to do is just chuck in a few needles, you know, that we, we still need to take the care and pay attention to what that person is experiencing. And, you know, why is this person having pain and, you know, every other person in the street who's got tight hamstrings or, you know, like it's, it's not just a matter of the physical, you know, the physical structures causing the pain. There has to be other elements at play in order for, you know, the pain and inflammation to take hold. And, um, you know, we have such a great, we have such a great medicine to be able to unravel and, you know, do the detective work to find out what is it going to take to get this person better. And it's really powerful when, when we do it, when we do it well. And I, I guess I want to lead in as well into um, another point that you, um, that you put into the notes that you sent through to us about, you know, the mistakes that acupuncturists make when treating injuries. I guess, you know, sometimes we might take for granted that, um, that we just treat them <clears throat> according to the way that we treat all our other patients is there are there traps around like frequency of treatment as well that that acupuncturists fall into oh wow okay um what i have seen when, when acupuncturists send me difficult cases and i inquire about their treatment and what happened what they did i think one of the most common one of the most common reasons I think that that acupuncturists miss it is is their lack of understanding of anatomy, and and um, and not palpating the tissue and understanding what they're palpating. So when when you're able to identify the source of the pain, then it's going to be easy to disperse that source of the pain because it's usually going to be an excess. I mean, a monkey could do that, really, seriously. I mean, a monkey can go ahead and do apply acupuncture and the person might feel a little bit better. Um, it, <laughs> I know it's not really funny, but it's true. It, it's because, I mean, you, you, look at this, you look at the scam acupuncture studies and the scam acupuncture studies are just about the same as the true acupuncture studies. Because when you are at a point that's slightly off or over, you're still signaling the nervous system. You're still changing proprioception. And so um, you can get results by just putting needles into people, but you won't get continuous, long-lasting, successful results over the long run unless you know anatomy really well and knowing the kinesiology, the biomechanics, and understanding movement and postural dysfunctions, knowing that information is really quite important for treating musculoskeletal injuries because you can, you, can, you can help things a lot by changing posture with acupuncture and then following up with exercises. So it's, it's number one, lack of anatomy, lack of palpation. Number two, um, is lack of needle technique or not treating the target tissue because fear of it might be going too deep and you might hurt the person or or um, they're needing to do because they don't know the underlying anatomy. So that's if if there's a message and this is a message that I, I do in, in my program and I tell people is that's why we spend so much time with human anatomy in, in our program is is to really beef up TCM practitioners about their ability to identify what's the anatomy that is, is in lesion and why. Is it the per does the person have low back pain, classic yao-yon, I call it yao-yon syndrome, so the extra point yao-yon, which is 3.5 zone lateral from the lower border of the spinous process of L4, right there on top of the iliac crest, right? It's a really common point. Um, that is usually going to be when the person has an elevated ilium. And so if the practitioner could be able to see that 
Yes, they can go ahead and put a needle into Yao Yang, the person's going to feel better, but as soon as they get off the table, they might walk or go through their activities of daily living, it starts to come back. If the practitioner was able to see that the person has an elevated ilium on that same side, then they're understanding that the tissues at Yao Yang are becoming a shortened position and they're pulling excessively and then you get adaptive changes to it. So the proper needle technique for those adaptive changes are different. It's not just throwing a needle in, you're actually applying a particular needle technique to be able to change the proprioception within that tissue. You would then add the quadratus lumborum because it's going to be in a shortened position. You would then add the glute medius and the gluteus minimus because those muscles would be in a weakened position. Just those one, two, three, four points, just those four points can make a big difference in that person's yaoyan syndrome for a long amount of time. Now there's more, I mean, there's absolutely more to do because then you got to look at the channels and again, you got to look at the Zongfu and all of that. But by, by knowing anatomy and knowing posture and biomechanics, it would be a huge step for traditional Chinese medicine. And frankly, I, I think the Chinese actually probably really recognize that a lot because of, of Tai Chi and Qigong. And when you look at, or if you practice that, really traditional teachers are very much into posture and understanding when when an a, 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 a ilium is elevated or a shoulder is high. So I think I think the language that I'm using right now is actually the theory that I've been talking about has actually been traditionally thought about for thousands of years. And I think maybe even Watteau himself looked at at certain Asher points would come up during certain movement patterns or something of that nature, like the quadrus lumborum is a classic osher point that needs to be needled in certain conditions. I hope I'm not going off too much on a tangent on that. I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like about all of our guests, when they just get excited and, and tell us what they know. There are other people out there who are listening who are also excited because this is their thing that, you know, really gets them going. So it's great to it's great to have you sharing it with us. Ah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Um, was there more on that topic or are we going to go more into other needle techniques? I think that was the beginning question with Zhaji and then other needle techniques. Yeah, I reckon let's go, let's talk more about some of the, um, like the thoracic Jarji points because I remember, I mean, you know, we spent a year at university doing surface anatomy, which was, you know, put your finger on anywhere on the body and what muscle, what nerves, what tissue is underneath that finger. And so learning about the Jarji points and how the lungs kind of wrap around and you can't actually needle the lungs from the Jarji points if you're going down perpendicular and I remember you know feeling a bit nervous about about doing it but you know that we were taught I mean we weren't taught a lot about jar g points it was kind of like and here's the jar g points um but one thing I did remember was um you know get your location right and go straight down and you can go in you know one and a half two sun down and that's something that I guess yeah can you can you talk a bit more about that because there's some practitioners out there who aren't confident about needling so deeply in the judging sure. point yeah okay um so going into the thoracic so now we're actually going to be using the watcho jaji points for zongfu related conditions or possibly um, a vertebra that sublux causing a rib pain or maybe even thoracolumbar junction syndrome that's a an up-and-coming syndrome that really wasn't that prevalent 20 years ago and now with the technological age is really becoming more prevalent. Um, so the Watto Jajis going 0.5 soon and, and, and the practitioner has to double and triple check that it truly is 0.5 soon when you're in the thoracic region because the goal is to go close to the bone. Borrow that from David Legge, one of your guys. <laughs> Um, you guys know David Lego? Yeah, he's a great. Yeah. he's a great person in this area too. He is. He is. I had a conversation with him not too long ago. He wrote a, a very nice piece for my book that's coming out next year. So I was really happy about that. But anyways, yeah, going close to the bone, where you can take that needle when you stimulate close to the bone, that means that you have 
from the surface of the skin all the way through the deep paraspinal muscles and close to the bone that will be stimulated by that dorsal primary rami. So think of the dorsal primary rami like roots of a tree that has different branches that go out. So where those different branches of those roots go out, each one of those branches will innervate that tissue. So I call those chi pockets. So you're going to have lots and lots of small little chi pockets within the depth of the Wato Jaji from the surface of the skin all the way to the bone. So when you needle in close to the bone, you're stimulating all those different chi pockets. Now the dorsal primary rami, like I said, was a branch of the uh, posterior nerve. Now that posterior nerve, and it's good to get your anatomy books out with this one so you can see, is that that posterior nerve has an anterior rami in the thoracic region, and that anterior rami goes into the sympathetic ganglion that innervates the organ. So by stimulating the Watojaji points, you're stimulating the organ. So when you combine the Watojaji point with the back shoe point, which is also a motor point innervated by a lateral branch of the dorsal primary rami, I know this is kind of difficult, I think, by just listening instead of having a book out. When you use the Watojaji points, the back shoe point, and the front move point, because it's all the same nerve. Do you understand? Mm. When you stimulate the Watojaji point and the back shoe point and the front move point, it's all the same nerve. That's why back shoe points and front move points are on the same level line. Yeah, because it's out yeah. around. And so <laughs> yep. you're yep. opening yep. the channels and the collaterals. You're getting the signaling system. You're signaling is what you're doing. And usually Watojajis, in my mind, you want to do them in sets of three. A couple of reasons for that is that when you do them in sets of three, you're, you're increasing your chances that you're getting the right spinal segment, but also the deep paraspinal muscles, and I keep saying that, the deep paraspinal muscles, see, those muscles, those muscles will attach two and three vertebrae at a time. And so when you can go ahead and stimulate those deep paraspinal muscles, if there's a subluxation or if there's spondylosis where um, the vertebrae is not, is impinging on the nerve ever so slightly and decreasing the amount of chi of that nerve going into the organ or into the innervated tissue, by doing a sets of three, you're increasing your chances that you're getting the proper stimulus. Wow, I was just going to say you're the first guest we've ever had that's got me typing notes while I'm listening to you. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I'm glad to help. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you a question which you may have already just partially answered, and that was, you know, selecting the, the GRG for the Zhang Fu conditions to select the correct place where the nerve leads to go to the organ, do they always match the bladder shoe point that we traditionally associate with that organ? Pretty darn close. Yeah, pretty close. But it's, but it's larger. Like, for example, you know, the heart is innervated from, from let's see if I'm reaching back here deep. Um, heart is innervated, I believe, from C7 all the way down to, to T5. And the lungs, I believe, are close to the same. Um, the liver is from, I believe, T5 to T12. So the, the actual true innervation of the organ is much larger and there's a lot more vertebra um, and, and uh, spinal nerve roots than just one where traditional Chinese medicine have. So there's a huge overlap, yes. Wow, so that's great, and that also explains to me why you'd get a much better result if you're doing three in a row. True. You know, like a, a classic one is the, is the three flowers, right? So you've got, um, what is it? It's 18, 19, and 20. So you've got liver, gallbladder, and spleen for digestive dis disturbances when there's a liver-invading spleen. Mm -hmm. Or you can go even farther when the person has maybe gallbladder heat invading stomach. Right, so you right, you got wood over you got wood controlling earth or mm. overacting on earth. Right, so you, and then you've you know, got 19, 19, 20 Watto or if your diagnosis is more gallbladder heat affecting stomach, then you can go ahead and do 19, 20, 21. Right, and then you've got liver 13 on the side there on the same pathway, right? 
That's right. You would do the walk to Jaiji points, you do the back shoe points, and then you also do the uh, front move points, in addition to treating the person's constitution as well. So I have a practical question. How do you treat the back and the front move points at the same time? You get about a um, eight inch needle. You go through and through. <laughs> I'm glad <Sorry>. you're laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm meant to be laughing or not. <laughs> no, you just, I, I always treat front and back. Okay. Is there so any I'll preference? The I'll treat the yang side first, and then I'll turn the person over and treat the front side. Okay. Great. <laughs> this gigantic mm -hmm. needle we're threading through to the other side. <laughs> that'll, t that'll really get to the zhang fu. <laughs> yeah, direct hit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and so you mentioned before about frequency of treatment. Is there, how often do you see people if they've got something acute going on? Well, it depends on what the acute is. Um, it depends on, on, it depends on, on the, how excess the acute is. So let's do a couple case scenarios. Let's say that somebody comes in with an acute ankle sprain and uh, they can't walk on it. So, um, First of all, we would have to assess it and see how bad the damage is. Is there a fracture to it? How bad are the ligaments and such? Um, the main goal with that is to be able to get rid of, I call it the acute stagnation. And the acute stagnation, in my mind, is, is, is an umbrella term for bleeding, swelling, inflammation, loss of function, is, is to be able to get rid of that excess. And once you're able to reduce that excess, then you could be able to assess that ankle a lot easier. So in that case, I'm usually treating probably three to four times a week. In most cases that comes into an acupuncturist's office is not acute. Um, it's usually going to be a chronic problem. The person's anywhere between 30 and 60 years of age. This is generally speaking, right? But um, most chronic repetitive injuries is usually that demographic, I would believe. Am I correct in that assessment with you guys? Yeah, that's that's the type, the typical patient that I would see at clinic. Okay, so then in that case, twice a week. Now, what I do is I'll, I'll go ahead and do a full assessment with the person, apply the acupuncture and the moxibustion, traditional Chinese medicine, and then I prescribe a lot of exercises to the person. Um, so, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say a lot of exercises, usually like three or four exercises based on their postural distortion to help correct that. And then when they come back, if they've done the exercises properly, then they get a few different ones or added on the original three or four. So using traditional Chinese medicine with exercise, which the Chinese knew because, I mean, they would teach their patients Qigong and Tai Chi and balance exercises. And so it's, it's very much the same. It's just a different different day, different world. And do you give people like nutrition advice as well or is there any, any other things that you do as well in addition to that? I'll look at their diet, yes. So now I'm no nutritionist but I'm healthy <laughs> and so I, I mean I don't, I don't study a lot of nutrition. I've got too much on my plate already but I mean over the years I have definitely understood what works and what does it for my body and for many of my patients. So, I mean, if the person's coming in and they're having chronic stomach heat and we don't ask them about how much coffee they're drinking during the day, then we're kind of making a mistake there. Um, or talking about intestinal flora for a person to really be able to help calm down that stomach heat and digestive problems. So, I mean, there's a lot of very basic things that I will go ahead and do. And if it's out of my scope, then I refer out and I co-treat. Mm. You know, one of the things that I've had the biggest surprise with is the, the little amount of water that a lot of people drink when they've got like ongoing problems with their knees or with their back, you know, and they might only be drinking like, I mean, this is in Australian terms, but they might only be drinking half a litre of water, which is like two glasses of water a day. It's nothing. And sometimes it's getting That's them to nothing. drink water. It just makes such a big difference. Right. When we're, when we are 96.8 or was it 98% 0.6 water, we need to, <laughs> we need to nourish that and the kind of water as well. 
Mm, definitely. Sometimes we, you know, have patients come in and they have pain that, you know, is chronic or long-term because they've had like a delayed healing or their body hasn't really um, set a good pace in healing an injury. What would you say, I mean, there are so many potential underlying causes of the body just not doing a good job of healing and so pain can remain, you know, especially with some things in the back or with discs, you know, they can take two years, three years to heal if injured. So what would you say would be some of the most common underlying causes of delayed healing of injuries with the patients? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. That's a very, very good question. And, and I think because we can't separate mind, body and soul, you just, you just can't. Mm. If the person is spiritually confined, trapped, unhappy, um, putting their life in a box, um, adapting to less, um, settling for less in their life. In other words, looking at the emotional component with that, looking at, again, the nutrition, their diet, looking at the water, looking at the different aspects other than just musculoskeletal because we're traditional Chinese medicine practitioners. We have to look at the entire picture, the entire picture. So um, when I get really difficult cases, I'll flat out ask the person, are you happy? And watch their eyes and watch their expression. And if their expression does not match the words that they say, then I know that there's going to be some challenge within the shen, and that's going to block healing. So I do my best with acupuncture to help it. Um, I have a practitioner in my office that, that practices acupuncture and healing touch. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that discipline or not. Um, healing touch is a, is a miraculous healing protocol. Um, here in the United States, it's becoming a lot more popular with registered nurses. There's a lot of science behind it as well. Um, many people think that it's um, probably a lot of very poo-poo because all you're doing is really touching the person, but you're doing it with a certain intent. And I see a healing touch practitioner myself for my back and for maintenance with acupuncture, and it's profound. I mean, it really is a way of, of, of working through uh, certain emotional or energetic blocks. Um, there's also Worsley's work, five elemental acupuncture, that is really quite profound for uh, releasing energetic blocks that can help with musculoskeletal pain. So, I guess I guess bottom line there is just to be able got to look at all aspects of it, and if your application of medicine or the application of medicine that we are applying with the patient, if you're not getting the results, then is to remember it's not about us, it's about that patient. And what can we be able to do to help that person and to send them to somebody who you feel like or yeah, that you feel like could be able to help. And and we get the ego out of it. Yeah, I can definitely attest to the power of just the uh the healing of hands. Using hands and touch um is something it was the first type of healing that I was involved with, just hands on healing techniques. And the first question as well for any patient, whether it's someone with long-term pain or not, is what is your body trying to communicate? What needs to be realized or let go of or changed or whatever on the Shen level? Yeah, mind, body and soul, we just can't separate it. You know, I'm thinking and reflecting on, you know, I've had a few patients over the years, not too many, thankfully, but, you know, people where you can, like, there is a block in the Shen and you just can't, like you know it's there and it pre it's preventing them from getting better and you just can't shift it. Like it's so, it's it's really tricky as, as a practitioner you know, to, to not be able happen. to help everyone. Yeah, I know. You know the funny thing about those patients too, and I, I maybe you can agree, <laughs> is that you feel like you're not helping them. They go away, and then they come back again to see you. And then you see them on the schedule, and you're like, oh, shit, this person's coming back. <laughs> but yet, in some way, somehow, 
you're helping them. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe this in their lifetime, this is what they're supposed to be changing in this particular lifetime, this, this time around, is, is how can they become more in tune with their emotions in their body and to be able to link it better. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's challenging. And it's okay to be able to tell the person, I don't think I'm helping you. You know, be very candid that way. I, that, when I learned that lesson, gosh, that really helped me sleep at night. It's just to know what I can do and what I can't do or what I, where my strengths are, where my weaknesses are. And trying to be able to heal everybody is so difficult <laughs> to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of one patient in particular and, you know, she saw me for, I don't know, six years, seven years maybe. And we really didn't get anywhere at all with her back. But out of all of the practitioners that she'd ever seen, I was the one that was the most helpful for her and the one that she kind of felt, you know, there were other things that she were getting out of the treatment. You know, she got some temporary relief from her back. Um, but, yeah, yeah, you just it's so hard to quantify what does a patient actually get out of a treatment. It's not just about our expectations about getting rid of their pain necessarily sometimes yeah it's like what are they actually here to do in this lifetime and what's our role in that yeah yeah that's 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 how i think about it yeah it seems really right on makes sense to me i feel like this episode well traces my experiences of pain and of healing the pain some years ago i broke my coccyx and it was the first time I had somebody needle one of my judgy points quite deeply. And there was this kind of nexus moment, which I think happens for a lot of patients with pain um, and certainly other conditions too. But pain is really obvious because pain really affects your present experience so strongly and is so uncomfortable. Where I'd combined, you know, the right treatment coincided with having a revelation and, and taking a herbal formula that I otherwise wouldn't have thought of taking and also having an emotional realization about my finances and um, my parents and things like this all happened at once where I'd had such bad pain in my back for about 18 months and it appeared to just stop hurting within this time frame of about three days where all these things collided. Um, mm, yeah. You know, and I know we're all familiar with those kinds of experiences and stories with, with our patients, but it's always important to remember that with every patient, you know, there's the capacity for that kind of a turnaround. True. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten to the end of where we need to get to today. Yeah, it's been so good having you on the show today, Matt. And it's always great to hear, you know, to be reminded that, you know, whatever aspect of Chinese medicine that we're looking at, that we're always coming back to the same principles. You know, we're always looking at the whole person and, you know, what their life is like and what their shen's like. It's not just about what's going on in their body. Yeah, that's true. Thank Hello, you. Claire, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate this. It was nice chatting with you guys. Yeah, it was great chatting with you too, Matt. And also, you know, the other side of things, just to really have some interaction with the more fleshed out knowledge of the Jaji points and the motor points. And um, I have a quick question at the end about the motor points, if I can throw it in. Yes, of course. Y you were saying that, you know, they're often quite tender when they're indicated and that they're also an area where the surface electrical charge is low. And I was under the impression that that's the same for acupuncture points. Are the motor points usually also acupuncture points? Uh, good question. There are many acupuncture points that are motor points. Mm. Most motor points are not acupuncture points. So let's, let's take this into like stomach 36 is a motor point for the tibialis anterior. Gallbladder 14 is the motor point for the frontalis muscle. Uh, large intestine 10, when needle deep enough, is the mm -hmm. motor point for the supinator. So there's many, many acupuncture points that are motor points, but there's many motor points that are not. But if you look at 
extra points. Like, um, do you have the text? It's an older text. It's called uh, Shanghai. Uh, no, it's called a comprehensive text of acupuncture. And it was written by Bensky. It was in the 70s or 80s, I think. Are you familiar with that text? Yeah. Okay. They have a lot of extra points in there. And so when I was um, investigating where the motor points were, I went to that as one of my references to see if this was already an extra point at the same location. And there are many, many, many extra points that are motor points. Great. Thank you. Thank you for the, uh, the, the addendum question there. At the end. Oh yeah, no problem. You have a book coming out next year and you've, do you have any seminars coming up? I have my educational program here in the United States that's ongoing. Um, when my book is done, which by the way, I've been working on this for 20 years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that it's is ridiculous. But it's finally coming out. It's finally coming out and it might actually be two books because it got kind of big over the 20 years. Uh, it might be volume one, volume two. Um, when I do finish it here in the U.S., I want to go back down to New Zealand. I'm a resident of New Zealand, so I like going down there and being able to teach seminars and such. So I've made some really good friends over the years. And uh, hop over there to Australia, cross the ditch, and look for um, a distributor there uh, for the book and probably get it printed either in Australia or New Zealand. So it'll be less expensive for you guys down there. Because I know when you guys purchase books in the United States, the shipping cost is outrageous. And so I thought I could be able to save you all some money if I actually have it printed down either in New Zealand or in Australia. That'd be great. That'd be really great. I'm looking forward to your book when it comes out. Oh, me too. It's been <laughs> a very long gestation period for this baby. Yeah. I congratulate you in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, it's not an easy feat to to write a book. I've just published my first book, and um, yeah, it was quite an epic process. So uh, yeah, yeah, congratulations for when you do finish it, and when it is um, when it is out, and in the physical <laughs> in in the physical form. So um, yes. yeah. And uh, yeah, so thank you for being on the show today and thank you to all our listeners. We'll have a lot of links and a lot of info in the show notes. So if you want to uh, click through to the website, you'll be able to see some um, images that go along with what we've talked about today, just to jog your memory. And uh, if there's any comments or questions, you can post them on our Facebook page and hopefully we can all continue the conversation there. Um, actually, I'm not a Facebook person. I chose a while ago never to go on it, and I'm just not a Facebook person. But I'm really quite good with the internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is the what is the website address? Uh, it's heavenlychipodcast.com. Oh, easy enough. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's for our listeners too who don't use Facebook. Um, there's no discussion on the website, but anyway, we're, the rest of us are having discussion on behalf of you all. <laughs> nice things will be said, and if not, we'll never hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys, Claire, Fiona, have a great one, and we'll talk again soon, maybe. Thanks, Thank Matt. you very much, Matt.